Do you work in full-time ministry? Of course you do. Let's talk about it with author and speaker Brian Chappell on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. And we are so glad you're here, as I say every week. You always have a seat at our table, and we're glad you're here. In case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy, Matthew Porter, who is our executive producer, uh, uh, is here. Some some people have an odd number of kids. Matthew has a number of odd kids. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> And if you're wondering, Matthew wrote those lines. I was going to say, Matthew wrote that. What? I speak to a horrible thing to say about your kids. Look who their dad is. You didn't say it. Chips off the old block. (laughs) Our producer, Jinx, is going to join us a little bit later. He's working hard, or will be, in his little glass booth. Um, Our video director and one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. John is sort of like duct tape. He can fix anything. And he's sticky on one side. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George likes his coffee. Like he likes his tax-deductible donations to Key Life Grande. And <laughs> Kathy Wyatt is the soft, feminine side of the program. Kathy reminds you that you can't buy happiness, but you can eat cookie dough. And hmm, that's close. <laughs> that's enough. Um, oh, Matthew. One, one dough or the other. <laughs> Dough and dough, yeah. That is so bad. That's so bad. I'm, oh, uh, gosh. I'm looking forward to this program. Brian Chappell is one of my favorite people in all the world. He uh, was, when I first met him, the president of seminary, which means that he's insane. <laughs> uh, but he became a pastor, and that nailed it in. Uh, He is now working as an executive of a very large presbytery, piles and piles of churches. And that means not only is he insane, he likes it. At any rate, he's been teaching and preaching uh, the gospel of grace around the world for more than four decades Uh, He is pastor emeritus of the historic Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois, and president emeritus of Covenant Theological Seminary. He's also president of Unlimited Grace Media and a best-selling author. And uh, his latest book, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory uh, of Your Job. Brian, thanks for being with us. 
Thank you, Steve. And I always feel like my vo voice is just weak following your voice. I just, I, it just, it just sounds like a thin strain next you know, to the sonorous tones that preceded me. It would be helpful if you brought up how handsome I am, and how good looking. Well, I'll tell you my it favorite Steve Brown line. Pretty voice, frankly. You, you want to hear my my favorite Steve Brown line? I think you were at the seminary one time, and and you start out by saying something in the Steve. Uh, brown tones, something like, don't you think I have a wonderful voice? <laughs> yep. Don't you I wish do. <laughs> that, don't you wish that you had my voice? You know, it's you all know grace. You said, I've got nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a good gospel line. It's all grace. It you was. didn't choose that voice. You didn't make it. You know what my favorite line from you is? You may not even remember this. You came over, leaned over and said, Steve, keep doing what you're doing. It's important to me. Translation, you're more weird than I am. <laughs> and as long as they're throwing rocks at you, they're not throwing rocks at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be your rock catcher. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, this book is, and I've spent a good deal of this morning reading it, is really a great, uh, a great reminder to all of us who get up in the morning and make enough money to pay the mortgage so we have a place to sleep and get up in the morning and pay the mortgage uh work is more than just putting food on a table uh sending our kids to college and uh, and paying the mortgage isn't it it is i i just wanted people to recognize that what the lord does when he gives us a job is he gives us a calling. And that, that's a strange thing. You, the way you started out, you know, you think, well, it, it's the preachers and the missionaries that have a calling. And you say, actually, all of us do whatever you do, eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And that means there is some aspect of our work that's actually worship. And when we find that, it can take the, the grind as well as the glory and, and make it something that is beautiful to you and joyful to you as well as good for the purposes of God. So, you know, I think the average, the average person thinks, what am I supposed to do as a Christian on the job? Well, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal and witness on, at lunchtime. If you can, you know, if the boss <laughs> lets you and, and what you and I know, Steve is listen, the Lord has given you talents, opportunities, sometimes in very hard places, to shine the savior. And when you see that, when you begin to know I'm, I'm here for a purpose, not just a paycheck. Now paychecks are important. I need them, <laughs> but it's more than that, right? We have actually have opportunity to, to glorify God as well as provide the paycheck. And so a lot of this book is just saying, folks, look how, look how precious you are to God and how much you can use what he's given you to do to glorify him. You know, Brian, I've never had any trouble with understanding what you said about people that are in work situations. But I've often wondered if that was true of ministry. Uh, you know, sometimes there is so much drudge work that only about five or 10 percent of what we do if we're pastors or Christian leaders can be filed under ministry. 
So maybe your next book ought to be a book to pastors that said you have a calling too. <laughs> try, try and not forget that. You, you find know, that people that, uh, and I'm going to say lay folks, and you just said there aren't any just lay folks, but people who aren't in ministry or aren't missionaries or working in a Christian ministry, do you find that when they hear this message, and I'm sure you've taught it in a lot of places, what's their response? Like, you've got to be kidding, or yeah. I'd rather just go to work, leave me alone, or that is so cool. What do you get from people? I don't usually get that so cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I usually get that's unreal. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's some sort of a puffery of uh, a religious person that doesn't face real life. But I, I love it. Um, you know, one of, one of those things in my background was a literature degree. And I remember the poet uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins and uh, one day he wrote this and it really stuck with me. He said, to lift up hands in prayer gives glory to God. Well, I knew that. But he said, but a man with a dung fork in his hand or a woman with a slop pail gives him glory too. He's so great that all things give him glory if you intend that they should. And that, that was a revelation mm -hmm. wow. that, you know, even, even the dung fork uh, lifter can give God glory if you mean that cleaning out the stall is for God's good, his purposes, you're going, that you're doing something for God, even by doing the drudgery and the grind. And so a lot of what I've tried to do is help people see, you You look at what you're doing as just providing a paycheck, maybe providing you pleasure, maybe you love your job, but it's all something you do for you. And to remind you that, listen, it isn't just that Sunday is for Monday. Sunday's actually preparing us to glorify God, but Monday is Sunday. That is, every day of the week is a day of worship if we can begin to see it as a way of giving God glory. Really does. I, I'd be interested. I have a friend, uh, or did for a number of years, who refused to go to church. He was a Christian, uh, but his job was selling beer. And uh, he sold it to bars all over South Florida. And he said, I can't go to church because I'm selling beer. I mean, it seems it would be hypocritical for me to show up at church. Uh, we're about out of time, but I'm going to pose that question to you uh, on the other side of the break. Can you sell beer and glorify <laughs> God at the same time? What, what brand? <laughs> you can't sell cheap beer brand, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, there'll be a more serious answer I'm sure uh, from Dr. Chapel on the other side of the break meanwhile the name of the book you ought to get it if you got a job and you're bored silly Paul Grace at Work Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of your job you don't want to miss a bit of this meanwhile we're going to take a break but just like jesus we're coming back hi this is eric producer of steve brown etc 
If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're talking to Brian Chappell, uh, and his latest book is called Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of Your Job. By the way, you... Uh, you might, one of the ways you can redeem your work is to find out if there are other believers there and then spend your lunch studying the Bible and uh, perhaps uh, making the center of the study Brian's book, Grace at Work. Uh, that would be a really good idea, and Brian needs the money, so... <laughs> Don't help him out. <laughs> Before we got when do into I the say break, when do I say amen in this? I'm trying to find <laughs> out. Okay, what? Brian. We, um, before the break, uh, I had referred to a friend of mine who refused to go. It was a Christian, but he didn't go to church because he sold beer for a living. And he just said, "Steve, it just doesn't go together. I don't think I can do that." Uh, without being a hypocrite, I got, I'm making a good living and I don't want to give it up, but I don't want to give up Jesus either. And, uh, uh, but I don't mind giving up the critical people in the church who will jump on me for selling beer. So he just didn't go to church. Was he doing right, Brian? He was mixed up. So let's let me answer it that way. So, Steve, I mean, honestly, if what he thinks he is doing is evil, if that really is his opinion, not that the people in the church are hypocritical by by thinking all beer and all alcohol is is wrong. If, but if he really thinks what he's doing is evil, but he's going to do it for a living, then he can't do that to the glory of God. If you actually think it's evil. I mean, we have to. Yeah. Now, if what he's saying is. I don't actually think it's wrong. I think that there's some legalistic people in the church who think it's wrong. Then I get it. And he still needs to find a church where people honor the Lord in a way that's according to Scripture. But, I mean, I love it that uh, th those those words of Gerard Manley Hopkins, all things can bring God glory if you intend that they should. That is, if he's redeeming what he's doing, if he thinks, you know, what, what I'm doing is, I don't know, selling a good beer, selling something that is... Uh, actually got the opportunity to to honor God, and then by all means do it. I mean, my my equivalent story, I think, is once you know I got long ago a degree in journalism, so I was talking to a bunch of uh, college kids one time about careers in journalism, 
and how it could bring glory to God. That that you know, war torn places, uh, places where people are oppressed, places where there's corruption. You you can use journalism to bring the justice and the goodness of God into our world. And a young woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I can't do what you said because the kind of journalism I want to do is I only want to write for fashion magazines. And I know that can't glorify God. And my response to her was, listen, if, if you really think there is no glory in writing for fashion magazines, nothing that could honor God, I don't think you should do it. But if you can bring a sense of beauty and goodness to an industry that is so often characterized by vulgarity, then you might actually be bringing the goodness and the glory of God into a magazine about fashion. So uh, all things can bring him glory if we intend that they should. Now, if if what we're doing is I'm just being selfishly uh, providing as much income for me as I can, well, that's not about God's glory. That's about your glory. But at the same time, I want to say if you know, Steve, you and I, we tell preacher stories and, and being at a seminary a long time, one of the stories that highly impacted me was a young student that we had who was going back to Asia as a, as a missionary. Now he came from Asia and he said, you know, the Bible school that I came from, the president of that Bible school was actually in a Japanese prison camp with Eric Little. Hmm. Now, you know, wow. you and I know that Eric Little died in that Japanese prison camp. And uh, I said, well, what a waste, most people would think. There's Eric Little with all the Olympic reputation and worldwide fame, and the Lord sends him to China to die in a Japanese prison camp. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. But this student said to me, you know, the president of our college, it was so miserable in that Japanese, he lost hope, he became so despondent that he actually went out next to the barbed wire fence to commit suicide one day. And Eric Little followed him. And Eric Little pointed at the birds outside the barbed wire and said, as long as our hearts are set on Jesus, we are as free as the birds. Mm-hmm. And that man did not take his life. Instead, once released, led Bible colleges and seminaries that have taken the gospel to tens, hundreds of thousands of people. Now, people say, what a terrible thing that Eric Little in a prison camp was a light for Jesus. I mean, he could have done so much, but listen. Eric Little prayed that the Lord would use him for the glory of the gospel. And the Lord used him in a terrible, awful place in a way far beyond his imagining. The fact that we're simply doing pleasant things in pleasant places doesn't mean that's the glory of God. It may be that we are honoring God in a horrible place with a horrible boss doing a horrible job. And so, but we are doing it with integrity and honesty our hearts still set on the Lord so that we're still glorifying God, even in hard places. The Western notion that I get to use my talents for the glory of God, so I need to find the job where I'm having a lot of fun, um, isn't necessarily the biblical way to think of things, is it? I mean, most people in the world, most people in the world are doing hard, mind-numbing, repetitive work. And, And we say, well, that's for the glory of God. And we have to say, how is it for the glory of God? Because they're living for Christ, living honestly, providing for their families, honoring a boss who may be cruel and saying, I'm doing this so you'll see Jesus. And, uh, and that's part of the glory of what God gives us to do when we have a vocation, not just an occupation, not just what occupies us, but a real sense of I'm here because God wants me here.
Mm-hmm. Brian, oh, you go ahead, Steve. Because <laughs> we're oh well, yeah. I, when you were um, talking about you know honoring God at your work, it reminded me of this quote Martin Luther, the Christian shoemaker, attributed to him. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Uh, we just have a like, second, but uh, could you reflect on that? The kind of yeah. role of excellence in, in honoring God. It's the Dorothy Sayers quote, right? Jesus didn't make any wobbly tables in his father's carpentry shop. Uh, (laughs) He he showed the excellence of God has given me gifts, responsibilities, honesty, and integrity of the people. When I honor what he's given, he will be glorified. That is awesome. And Steve, Uh, we're going to take a break. Book is Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of Your Job. Sometimes, and maybe we'll get some answers, the way you glorify God is telling a cruel boss to take the job and put it somewhere else and walk. (laughs) That's called Christian boldness, and that sometimes... uh, glorifies God too. Other times you submit, you're kind and gentle and loving, and uh, talk about him behind his back. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to return. This is hard work. we got to rest. You too, and then join us. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What do you do for a living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. joining us. We're hanging out with Brian Chapel. By the way, you can keep up with him and you ought to do it at brianchapel.com and on Twitter at, it's not very creative, Brian Chapel. And uh, you'll get some stuff that'll, that'll inspire and be a blessing to you. Brian, right right before the first break, you mentioned two terms that I wanted to bring up later on in the program. Um, uh, You mentioned um, the term occupation and also vocation. And I wondered if you would just um, talk a little bit about the distinction between those. You kind of led into it and what the difference is um, uh, between between occupation and vocation. 
Sure, Kathy. I mean, we we know an ordinary conversation. We use the words the same way, don't we? One one goes to work. It's my job. It's my occupation. It's my vocation. But historically, and for us as believers, I mean, there's really kind of a neat way of thinking about the difference in the words. Your occupation is what occupies you, right? Takes your time, takes your energies, takes your effort, and and you need an occupation to to get a paycheck and provide for your family or provide for your apartment, whatever is needed. But your vocation, now that actually comes from an old, old word that means calling, like somebody who's very vocal, right? So your vocation is actually God's calling for you. So what he's given you to do, the means he's given you to do it, and the place he's given you to do it are all an aspect of your calling by God. And uh, of course, we we may not view that at all. Steve's going to know that that old, old story about you know Martin Luther talking to a couple of bricklayers and uh, Martin Luther says says to one, you know, what are you doing? And well, I'm laying bricks, obviously. And he asks the other bricklayer, what what are you doing? And the other one says, I'm building a cathedral. And uh, one was thinking of outcomes, and the other was only thinking about process. And when we're thinking about occupation, we're just thinking about outcomes and process. Here's what I'm doing. But somebody who's thinking about vocation is thinking about what's the outcome of of what God is calling me to do. What what can be the blessings to others? What what can be my witness in this place? What can be the uh, the impact upon creation or community or culture by the things that I do? And in that sense, even the most menial, dare I say, even awful things that we may have to do can be seen as something God is calling us to do. Does that begin to help Kathy a bit? Yeah, it does. And I, I, I really have, and I'm old, I'm, I really have in more recent years begun to, to realize that what, what kind of a difference that is, because for a long time, I always looked at what I did as that it was, it was my occupation and felt like that the thing that I thought was going to be my vocation was something that had, that had eluded me. And when I finally began to realize that that wasn't it took a lot of years too that that wasn't the case boy did it change i mean it just changed everything just changed everything well i i love that and now again if 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 preachers can't be theological who can so on a preacher show wow you know a couple of things very early in the bible to just give us a sense of of what god is doing one of the early things we see god gives us our label before he gives us our labor right so to adam and eve he said you are made in my image, both male and female. So who are we? We're made to reflect God. We're made to, before he actually tells them what their job is, you know, to, to prune the peach trees in the garden and so forth. He says, you are mine before I give you anything to do. Why, that's not, why is that important? It means our job doesn't define us, right? That, that's a good gospel principle. Our performance is not what defines us. It's God's love for us. It's his calling us precious to himself. But another important thing to recognize is that that labor came before the fall, before all the weeds and the thorns and the corruption. All that. What, what does that mean? It means that God says work is not a bad thing, right? It was something that was good. Now, it got harder when all the thorns and thistle came into the world. But the work was a good thing that people who were precious to God were called to do. And uh, that, that's why we begin to see if God has called me into work that may be hard, it may, it may be awful, but I can find ways to glorify God in it 
And I know we're running a little short in this segment, so I'm going to save the best story on that to come. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but I do recognize that what, what we need to say is, if I can do all to the glory of God, then, then things that may seem hard, awful, dirty, really stretch my patience, cause me to weep at night, all of those things can bring glory to God if I intend that they should. I'm really trying to serve him in the way that I do this job. In that case, every job, every every piece of every job done that's honest is done on holy ground. It's on holy ground, it's honoring God. You've used the word intentional or intend quite a lot. So this is an attitudinal thing, isn't it? It's not so much what we do or the attitude that God has given us to do what we do. That's um, that's really good stuff. You ought to get this book. It's called Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of Your Job. So if you're working in a place where your boss is a jerk and they don't pay you enough or even give you a vacation, and they demean you and disvalue you and put you down. If you listen to me, you'll quit and find another job. If you listen to Jesus and Brian, you'll change your attitude and make a difference in a lot of lives. Don't listen to me. Listen to them. I'm going to repent on the break. irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know, She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, we're so glad you're here. And in case you hadn't heard, on October the 17th, for the first time ever in history, we're going to record this show in front of a live audience here in Central Florida. It's free, and we'd love to have you join us. You can go to keylife.org slash book launch for all the details. Uh, We're going to launch my latest book, which is truly one of the great works of Christendom. We'll change the world and impact thousands of lives. And if you believe any of that, you'll (laughs) believe anything. But it's not half bad. And we are going to have fun that evening, and we hope 
that you can join us. Brian, you said you were going to hold the story over. It better be good because I've been. (laughs) Well, now it better be good. (laughs) Well, I I was responding to to Kathy and just thinking about, uh, again, that difference between what can bring glory to God, even though we have to confess you know, you do a glamour job. You're on the radio, man. But uh, not everybody gets to do the glamour stuff. I mean, people do hard jobs, as I said, kind of mind-numbing, repetitive work. How can that possibly be glorifying to God? And I had to think about that some years ago when I was out on the West Coast. And uh, of all things, uh, the group I was with took a tour of a cheese factory. Now, there's excitement for you. And um, in this cheese factory, I watched as as a man stood on the assembly line. And here was his job. He stood right by the assembly line. And as little bricks of cheese went by him on the assembly line, about every 10th or 12th block of cheese, he would straighten it a little bit. So it went into the packaging correctly. And I confess, I thought to myself, man, am I glad I don't have that job. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Uh, now, listen, I know nothing about the man his what he enjoys doing, his intellect, his abilities, what, you know, I'm none of that. But I had to begin to think, what happened if he didn't straighten the cheese? It doesn't go into the package right. Bacteria goes in. People get sick. They don't buy the cheese. He's out of work. The company's out of work. His friends don't have jobs. Their families don't have income. The community doesn't have the company. The, com- the community doesn't. The families can't. Well, you get it. And you know, I, I think every person, every person has the opportunity before the Lord to to look at their job as, as hard as it may be, as grinding as it may be, and perform what I call the George Bailey test. Now, you have to remember who George Bailey is. Remember, that was in It's a Wonderful Life. And, of course, that great theological truth that Clarence the Angel is earning his wings by uh, – I know that's what you believe, Steve, and what you <laughs> preach. But nonetheless – that was that was the theology of that time, as you know. And yet what happens, Clarence, to earn his wings, he lets George Bailey see what life would have been like if George Bailey had not been there. If he had not rescued, if he'd not done his work, if he'd not had his job, if he'd not been at the savings and loan, what would have happened to that community? You know, when when we're doing things that are hard as Christians, we really ought to do the George Bailey test. If I didn't do it, if somebody were not here doing it, what would be the impact upon others? Because I'm here, and if I'm doing honest work, I'm on holy ground. You know that that you know the Abraham Kuyper, every inch is Christ, every inch is Christ's kingdom. And if I'm here, I'm on holy ground. What would happen if I weren't doing it? And that gives us a little dignity we might not have had if we weren't thinking in terms of God means to use this. Wow. Frankly, I don't know about you guys, but I, the cheese thing sounds attractive to me. Right after vinyl repair, I could do either. I was going to ask what kind of cheese. <laughs> yeah, George. Um, Brian, you include um, some uh, a chapter on leadership, and then there's some other things sort of sprinkled through about leadership. And I, I was thinking about your story of um, – Martin Luther and talking to the bricklayers. And I, you know, one could maybe assume that those two bricklayers had different supervisors. You know, one of them was really good at helping his charges connect their work to a larger purpose. And uh, thinking in terms of some of the challenges of uh, finding 
um, your opportunity to glorify God in your work. We hear things about like servant leadership and making the distinction perhaps between uh, leading by serving versus serving by leading. And can you just talk some about what, what you, um, what you discuss in the book about leadership and some of the challenges there? Well, uh, thank you, George. I mean, your terminology uh, helps me a little bit because I think one of the things that we forget in an age that sometimes disrespects the notion of leadership, somebody has a higher position, if you think of it that way, than somebody else. And that doesn't sound too kind, other than to remember that the service of leaders is to lead. In other words, they have been put in a position to help take care of other people, to steward the resources of a company or or, or industry or, or a group of people. And for them not to lead is actually to hurt other people. And so in ways that God has given them the opportunities and the abilities to organize uh, resources and efforts, uh, they are actually serving other people. Now, if, if the total job is just to serve oneself, uh, that's not going to go very well, right? But we recognize, and of course, uh, all the good, great work that we all read a decade ago, you know, was telling us that what are, who are the best leaders? Those who actually put the priorities of the company above their own. That when you look at those level five leaders, the ones who are serving a purpose higher than themselves, they're the only ones who maintain companies beyond the, an immediate time. And I so love it that when the secular world says, you know what the Bible says is true, <laughs> because that's really what the Bible is saying. If leaders, lead, they're not serving themselves, but they're serving the interests of others. They're acting wisely. They're planning wisely. They're dealing justly. They're correcting wrong. They're disciplining what needs to be. If they're acting according to biblical principles, then there is, again, holy work that's being done by the service of leadership. It's not serving oneself. It's serving the interest of others. And, and that is biblical leadership that is not taking advantage of others. It is using what God has given to help others glorify him. And that's true in the church, too, isn't it? It's very true. I, mean, I hope what I just described is a pastoral work as well, isn't it? And it's reminding us that work is worship. If we'll see it as intended by God to bring him glory, that it's not you know worship on Sunday and work on Monday through Friday, that that the work itself is worship if we intend that it should glorify God, serve his people, um, bring his priorities into the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. Boy, this is good stuff. And I hate it that it's coming to an end. I feel like, and we did, we just scratched the surface. This is such a good and wise book, and the name of it is Grace at Work. It uh, redeeming the grind and the glory of your job. Get it. Study it with friends. Talk about it. It could make a major difference that you haven't been making right now. Brian, thank you for taking time out of a busy schedule to be with us. I hope we can do this again. Good to see you again, my friend. Lord bless. Guys, we're going to come back uh, for a short time and tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And you're going to be absolutely amazed.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. What a great hour with uh, Dr. Brian Chapel, and what wisdom he's giving us. I think that thing about the creation story that we were defined by who we are before we were told what we were to do. That's profound and that's very wise. And you need to remember that. If you're not a believer, you go ahead and earn your paycheck, make as much money as you can, and pray that someday you can buy a Mercedes and live in a 10,000-foot house, a mansion. Uh, But if you're a believer, you're more than that. Uh, You are defined as a loved, beloved child of God. And frankly, that changes everything. Uh, It makes your life a vocation. It makes what you do a vocation. It makes every relationship that you have a vocation. It changes dullness to excitement. And I think sometime, and Brian did that in the story, uh, when he strung it out and said, the keeping bacteria out of cheese and people not dying is important. If you remember, you're a part of that. I think when we get home, we'll have plenty of time. It won't be under a time schedule like a talk show where you have to stop people from talking. We're going to look at the stories and the ripples in the lakes there where we have served. And we're going to see things that will absolutely blow your mind. And if you keep that in mind, when you go to work or when we turn on microphones or when we take care of our kids and our families and wash the diapers, you'd be surprised the difference that that would make. Kathy, who's going to be with us next time? Next time, our friend, um, Alan Morris is going to be with us. Um, His book is titled All In, How to Risk Everything for Everything that Matters. And that'll be interesting. uh, When I read the book, I kept saying, I don't believe I would have said that. (laughs) Uh, He's very vulnerable uh, and very open and very honest about the dark. So uh, join us next week. You'll like Alan. You'll like his story and the wisdom that he gives. 
not altogether different than what we've experienced today with Brian Chappell. At any rate, we're going to be back next week, same time, same place. It's our fond hope that you'll join us. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. That gives you a wide, wide berth. <laughs>